right, welcome back to another episode of Gain, Grow, Retain. Today we've got Caressa Parrish, who is the growth marketing manager at ClassTag, um, which I feel like um, probably, I feel like there's, there's a lot that probably falls under that um, umbrella of a, <laughs> of a title for you. But um, Caressa, I'm excited for you to be here and uh, for us to do this today. Yeah, thanks. So excited to be here. Thanks, Jeff. Um, I like to start off with a couple of icebreakers that I don't warn people about. So, um, you had, you know, fair warning, you had no, you know, time to prepare for these, but these are the ones I usually find the best. So, uh, I typically change my questions around. So I'm kind of back on a kick. I was doing this early on, but I'm back on this kick again, which is, um, I think a great way to get us, get to know you is like through two ways. One is to understand like what your perfect Sunday morning looks like. So if you were describing, Hey, you know, in a perfect world, this is what my Sunday would look like. I know uh, we were chatting before this, you know, you have kids, you're probably running around all the time, but you know, let's go to the, uh, you know, to the great land of, of uh, perfect and uh, where you get to describe whatever you'd like. How does that Sunday morning look like for you? All right. Sunday morning is waking up without an alarm and waking up on my own, not by my children. <laughs> They've already made breakfast for themselves. The coffee is ready to go. We're getting ready for church and they don't need anything from me. Just everything is smooth. <laughs> I like that. Uh, I also love the descriptions of like waking up on your own without an alarm clock or without children. Um, I haven't, you know, our son is nine months old now, so I'm, I'm a little behind the train on you, but I'm learning um, pretty quickly that actually I don't even set an alarm anymore because I don't like I don't need one. Like, it, you know, like I'm <laughs> usually up by the time I have to be up uh, and it's usually not because I want to be, it's usually because, you know, uh, our son is waking us up. So, um, I hear that. What is like, uh, what's like a go-to breakfast for you? You said coffee, but what's like the go-to Ooh, breakfast? Go to breakfast. Um, my youngest daughter, she loves to cook. So she will make us like turkey and cheese crescent rolls. Um, so that's oh. pretty good. Any breakfast that I don't have to make and she's making for us, that's a win. That sounds pretty good. Yeah, I'll do that. Um, I would say like we've fallen into a routine uh, and I'm like a routine person. So like if I start something, it's pretty much like you're, you're gonna have to do a lot to change it. So um, my wife and I are like currently on the same, almost like the same breakfast every morning, which is like two eggs, some avocado, piece of toast, and then maybe some like turkey sausage or chicken sausage or like bacon or something. But like, it's almost like without a doubt that like, that is like four to five working days. Like we're eating that uh, for sure. And it's mainly just because like, uh, well, it's mainly just because like once I fall into a habit, like it's easy for us. It's like we, you know, you fall into this little routine. You feel like, um, you know, we're trying to get people out the door. Or, like people are working, whatnot. Like, I don't know. It just has like worked out that way. Yeah. Uh, but then and invariably my wife is like the, I'm like the routine person. My wife is like the, well, let's go like explore. Let's do something else. Let's change it up. And I'm always like, whoa, 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 whoa. You're like, you're messing with my plan. You're messing with my, uh, but usually she wins out. So that's why like three days of the week we don't, we don't follow the routine. Um, all right. Second question to get to know you, if you, if you were to go on Jeopardy, you know, and like, um, let's just say the late great Alex Trebek is reading, reading out the categories. Um, and he comes across a category and you in your mind instinctively think I'm going to crush that. I'm going to nail that category. I'm going to know everything from, you know, the 100 to a thousand. What's that category? Nineties alternative rock. Whoa. You knew that like right from the beginning. That is. Yeah, absolutely. uh, What, what, um, what does, what's like, what are some of the bands that you would classify as like nineties alternative rock? Oh my gosh. Now you're really putting me on the spot. Um, the toadies is the first one that comes okay. to my mind that I was a big fan of the toadies green day. Who else? Okay. Yep. 
All right. Now, okay. I'm, now Am I'm catching my age? No, no, but you're, I'm catching your drift now. Um, uh, but I love that category. And that's a, usually a good question to get. To, um, I would say people end up saying something music, music related um, or TV show related a lot yeah. of times. Um, which I think just question. Probably, I'm going to steal it. Yeah, oh, it's a, it is a good. Um, I've asked that actually, like one of the best times I've ever asked that is uh, on an executive call uh, with a customer. And like you should have seen like. You know, I'm like, hey, I'm like, hey, I'm gonna ask an icebreaker to give, and you can see everyone's eyes rolls. Like, oh, like you're gonna ask me, like, what do I bring to a desert island, or like, I don't know, you're gonna ask me, like, um, you know, like, what's my middle name or something, like, uh, and then I asked that question, and every single person was like, oh, like that is so different, and uh, it kind of caught people off guard in a good way. So um, definitely steal it. I've seen the other one that, um, oh, what's the other one? Um, Oh, what's your, what's the, uh, the other one I'd like to, to use before too on calls with, um, customers that kind of catch them off guard is like, what's the one piece of life advice, uh, that you've been given that like has actually rang true. You know, it's like everyone gives life advice left and right. And like, uh, like what's the one that one can kind of go in a, in a in many different directions. That one's yeah. a little more like, you know, uh, maybe that's more like internal team related, uh, yeah. kind of get to know your team a little better, but, uh, that one also gets some good responses. Um, so I'm all for I'm all for questions like that that kind of catch people off guard. Um, all right, so we were chatting beforehand about a couple of things that um, I think are interesting uh, that we think are interesting, just about you know kind of where we are at the CS landscape, um, especially like given the market, kind of given the narrative that people are talking about. It's you know a big part of um, scaling customer success and how do we do that? And I think one of the things that we've bonded over is that we we believe that. Uh, a lot of scaled customer success initiatives are generally moving in the, in the direction of like getting marketing support or having, you know, some sort of marketing resource, you know, on the CS team or kind of having some sort of bridge or overlap, but it's just more and more, you know, when you think about this word scale, it kind of means in my mind, like using technology to help us really get the most out of our um, team members. And that generally leads itself to a lot of like what marketing has done in the past. Um, and so, I think it maybe, but a natural place to start as we think about kind of diving into this conversation is you've had an interesting path to get into kind of B2B tech. Um, you are uh, started in the classroom and you've transitioned into um, technology. And I'm curious um, how you've found that transition and maybe like, are there things that you feel like, okay, um, it's kind of interesting. You know, I think sometimes people think, oh, the, these careers are totally different, but there actually are parallels. Um, and so I'm curious if you've maybe found some parallels between classroom and then, you know, work coming into the kind of customer success and marketing landscape. Yeah, absolutely. So my first um, customer success position, they were still doing a lot of things one to one. And I just remember going back to the classroom, I had implemented some digital learning strategies in my class to help um you know, I was repeating myself seven times a day because I taught middle school. And I thought there's got to be a better way. These kids aren't listening to me when I talk and I'm doing this eight, seven, eight <laughs> times. Um, so I'm just going to record myself. And they all, you know, at the time, everyone had one to one devices anyways. And then I can walk around the room and help the students where where they need it. Um, and so taking that to the customer success role that I was in, it's like, I already know how to do this. So yeah, I'm going to record myself. I'm going to share it out. Everyone can watch it when they hit that point in their journey. Um, they don't have to come ask me for, you know, instead of them having to schedule time with me or, or contact supports, like the content was already there. 
and then I could help as needed. Um, so a lot of the scaled stuff that we did in customer success was centered around content first. And just anytime you feel that you are repeating yourself over and over and over again, shoot, that's an easy piece of content that you can share out and not have to wait for those one-to-one check-ins because who wants to do that so many yeah. times? That is like the, yeah, like the, uh, I feel like the one-to-one check-ins are like, you know, slowly moving out uh, and becoming, you know, almost like, uh, I don't know, cream of the crop of like what you'd act, like, you you can only do them with a very, very small select number. Um, and I love your point too, about like, I'm, I'm teaching these kids and, you know, I have to kind of figure out like several different ways to like, kind of make this entertaining or make them pay attention, you know, like there's, um, it's almost like the, um, that's what I'm looking for. It's almost like the, you know, we talk about like attention is like the thing you have to garner from your customers these days. And like mm-hmm. you almost like experience that maybe even at like its earliest stage, which is probably like the hardest to get through of like <laughs> getting these, these kids to attach themselves to like the, the work that they're trying to do or the lessons that you're trying to teach them. Um, and so are there any others that kind of stick out to you? It kind of sounded like there's at least two in there, but any, any others that stand out? Um, we used to have this thing in, in education. So any other former teachers would know exactly what I'm talking about. It's called ask three before me. And so it's really the idea of do the students have three other resources that they can go to, to find the answer to this question before they come ask the teacher. So using things like anchor charts or um, a guide that's right in front of them, or do you have a digital resource that they can go find it? Can they ask a friend next that's sitting next to them? So what are all the different ways that they can find the answer or the information they're looking for instead of having to come direct to the teacher? And so I see that in customer success, especially being able to scale customer success and what are all the different places? Are we touching them in the product? Are we, do they have those self-help resources um, where they are easy to find? They, do they know how to contact support? Do you have yeah. templates or anchor charts and all of those things that are helping customers so that they don't have to go directly to you or submit a support ticket every time they have a question? Yeah, that's, um, I think that's a huge one that I've noticed recently too. You know, I think, um, there's uh, almost like a fine line because I feel like sometimes when you give customers too many options, right, then it creates like this. Well, I don't know what to do, yeah, but I still sure. feel like that. Um, I still feel like the variety is like needed there. I mean, it, it's almost like you said, like you still want to direct them to like one place, but then once they're at the one place, like you let them, you know, pick from a, a select number of options or like a limited number of options. Like that's the way I've been um, thinking about it more recently. Um, but I think like the things that you're, you're kind of touching on, like attention, like we kind of talked about the attention piece, um, being able to like, make sure that we can garner attention, thinking about also like sending customers to one place, um, being able to like articulate information across, you know, kind of different ways or different pathways. Um, and then also like the different, I'll call them like learning paths, but like you said, like in product is different than you know, something that we might write on, a, write on a blog or have in a video series. Um, and those are, it's just interesting how you're kind of like bridging the gap of like seeing some of those things happen in the classroom and then start to figure out, oh, actually these are very similar problems, you know, different audiences and different, maybe different solutions, but just very similar problems to what happens in the classroom um, when you're trying to do those like very same things. Yeah, absolutely. And then my, my last year of teaching, I taught robotics. I use the word taught very loosely. I did not teach very much robotics, but I facilitated learning in the robotics classroom. I think the students taught me more than I taught them probably. Um, But I think that uh, like a lot of things um, coming hot with customer communities is just 
facilitating those learning environments. It's not that I'm directly teaching you anything, but I'm facilitating those spaces for you to learn from others. That is a, um, I love that. And I think that you see that much more in, in, I'll call them like modern SaaS companies. You start to realize that um, a lot of times too, like if you can connect peers to peers, like there's a lot of learning that can go on that you can almost like get credit for. But like, again, um, I think if you kind of look at some of the evolution of like these B2B tech companies, you know, um, in the early days, it was kind of like uh, on-premise solutions. And so, you, you know, you are almost like the only one that is an expert on your solution. Like there's no one else that they can really interact with. And then as everything's moved to the cloud, everything, you know, starts to become, um, you know, much more um, commonplace Then you know, now you've got customers that can actually like, that are interacting in very similar environments or doing this like similar things with your product that can like share this knowledge. Um, and it just goes so much, such a longer way than if you say it as the vendor and, I don't know. Sometimes I think it's hard for people to, to get that point across. It's like, well, yeah, we said that, but it's like, yeah, yeah, like us saying that is very different than like, you know, a fellow peer saying that, you know, where they have like this empathy and they know what people have struggled with or they know the opportunities they, they're doing the same job. Like there's just something that's way different than like uh, we were talking about this before the call, but like that same that provides credibility that like we don't have as an organization. And, mm-hmm. you know, we want that and we have a, we have a certain level of credibility, but it's like our credibility, our credibility only goes to a certain point And then it's like a peer goes much higher. So if you can get a peer yeah. to say those things, like you said, if you can facilitate those learnings through peers or even like other experts on our team, um, that's where it goes a long way too. Yeah. Um, as you, so you, you kind of naturally talked about, you know, transitioning from the classroom, um, kind of moving into CSM roles, finding some of these similarities. Um, and it seems like you've, you've kind of stuck at, um, some startups, uh, in, in terms of or early stage companies as you, you've kind of had your, um, CS experiences. And so naturally I feel like that has meant you've got to do a lot of different things probably. Um, you know, there's good and bad that comes along with that. Um, and naturally I think there's probably a place where you start to notice like, okay, um, we got to get scrappy and there's like this difference. I actually posted about this yesterday, which I thought was an interesting, um, graphic, which is basically like, I feel like people are always stuck between two points, which is like oh. speed versus quality. And, mm-hmm. uh, I feel like at startups or at early stage companies, you're in, in terms of like your, um, solution to many problems typically ends up being on the speed part. Um, you kind of have a low number of, we'll call them like quality decisions because you, you know, you're just moving fast. You want to get answers out. You want to get things in the market, um, yeah. kind of adapt quickly. Um, would you say that's accurate? Is that what you've experienced? How, how have you kind of gone along that route? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that's where um, a lot of this, the work that I did in both of my um, customer success positions now being in startups is like problem, solution, problem, solution, and just on repeat. There's a problem. We see a gap that we're getting an influx of support tickets or several people have asked me about the same thing recently. There's a gap. Um, And so identifying what are those problems and implementing a solution. And that solution may not be perfect. It's not, um, but it's certainly better than what we had previously, which was nothing. Um, And so, and you can go back and revise those solutions over time. And as seasons change and your, your company size changes and your teams change, then you can always go back and, and rethink what those solutions should be. But yeah, definitely in the startup environments that I've been, it's, implementing a solution is better than what we had, which was nothing. I think you're on mute or I can't hear you, Jeff. 
went on mute while I was drinking water and then forgot. To <laughs> um, yeah. The, the thing that, um, is so true about that. And I love your point is like, um, the gap part, right? Like, no, like you can, I feel like when you, um, in some of the early stage experiences that I've had as well, right. You can, um, when there's not somebody who's like filling the gap manually or when there's not somebody who is, or when there's not something already in place, like it's very easy to notice those gaps, right. And you're kind of like, okay, we've noticed a bunch. And then it's like, okay, which ones do we prioritize? Right. That, that becomes like the decision. I think it's harder as businesses get bigger because what ends up happening is a lot of people, um, end up plugging gaps just like one off and then it turns into like not one off. I just keep doing it manually and I keep doing it and I don't really tell anybody about it or I kind of tell people about it, but nobody really knows. And then it's harder because then you start realizing like, okay, what's a real gap versus like a um, perceived gap that we've kind of filled. So it's interesting you mentioned yeah. that because I feel like that's a um, – almost like an advantage in early stage companies is actually you, you kind of know your problems much more directly. Uh, and then it's, it's more of a matter of like, is this the right time to solve it? And do we have the resources yeah. uh, becomes like the big, the big question to answer where I feel like as you, you know, as a company grows and matures, you start to get into this. Well, um, we kind of don't know if it's a real problem or not because it might be, might be plugged by somebody manually right now. Uh, if that kind of makes sense. Yeah, that's so true. That's a really good point. And then the other piece of that also is being in a startup with few people on a team. It's like, you know, who's doing what and we see this problem, who's going to fill the solution. I volunteer. Uh, so it's easy to implement, implement those solutions rather than having to wait on this person from some other team who isn't directly tied to the problem, but they do X, Y, and Z. And so you're having to wait for them to implement the solution. Yeah, that is, um, that is so true. And I'm, I'm like a, um, if you like looked at my like disc or like any of those, like, um, personality quizzes that you can take, you know, or like the personality assessments, like I'm, um, very high on like decision. I like, I want to take action very quickly. Um, so that what you just described is like, you know, painstaking for me, which is like, Oh, yeah. I have to go rely on other teams yeah. and people and I have to get approvals and whatnot. It's like, Oh my gosh, I have to go through so much. So, um, yeah, definitely advantages as you start thinking about, it. I think sometimes people think early stage companies, you know, it's like all chaos all the time. And, um, you know, then you can't wait to, to become a bigger company, but, um, there are some like advantages and benefits in that early stage that you can certainly take advantage of. I also think the other one that you mentioned about like, um, almost like the, these gaps or these, um, challenges that are being presented, right. Um, a lot of times are surfaced like to almost, we'll say like not the whole company, right. But to a large number of people, cause it's kind of like, Hey, it's nobody's real job to go solve this, but like who wants to volunteer? And then it becomes a cool, like, Oh, I get to go maybe go learn a new skill or I can, I can go work with somebody else I haven't worked with and kind of get a new experience. And, um, I've, I've found in my career that, um, the jobs where you kind of get to do your job 80% of the time and then 20% you get to kind of go off and do something side or do something different, Mm -hmm. um, are like some of the best. Cause then you start to get, you know, more of that, um, experience where you learn, you get outside your comfort zone, you learn something new, you get to work with a different team member. So I think that was another point you mentioned that kind of stuck out to me too. Yeah. It's been a lot of fun working in startups, being able to wear many hats. I, I like that. I always like to continue growing my, my skill set and toolbox. So it's been a lot of fun. Um, so I think the other interesting part is your, um, uh, title or like your kind of your purview now, uh, as growth market, it's growth marketing manager, right? Does make that up? Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, again, we, we've kind of naturally talked about, um, and even mentioned it maybe a couple of times already in the conversation, just about how, 
customer success seems to be moving in um, a direction where we need, you know, more scaled strategies and technologies and experiences. Um, marketing has generally done that before. So it feels like there's this nice kind of harmony of like, okay, how do we start um, sharing and kind of instituting some of these maybe marketing strategies that might work for customers. How have you, how did you kind of transition or find yourself? It sounds like early on you're kind of in CS roles, then you've kind of um, now you're in maybe more of a, that marketing role. Um, how did, how did you kind of like progress into that way? And are you finding kind of a, a similar thing where you're kind of finding that marriage of um, CS and marketing? Yeah. So how I came into this role is exactly what we just described being in the startup environments and just volunteering to take on these special projects, wherever I saw a problem, I wanted to implement a solution, whether it be through creating the helps, uh, the, the help articles or video content or courses, um, the all the email nurture campaign. So all of these special projects that I would take on because I saw a need. And I think I've just always naturally had this like marketing mindset. Um, so here we are at, at my current company and I was in customer success team of two um, as, as we continue to grow and transitioned into a formal marketing role, even though I feel like I've been doing marketing my whole life, even as a teacher. I mean, teachers are master marketers at the end of the day. Um, so that's how I'm in my role right now. And it's what's been interesting and still continuing to, to learn um, in every new job that I'm in is so I, I still get to focus on the post sales piece of it. But now I've extended my tool belt to look um, during the sales and process and just how do we optimize those processes. So that has been really cool to see how can we um, optimize what happens on the sales side and have this fluid um, flow of what happens there and then what it looks like when they cross over that line and now are on the customer success side of things. Um, but that's where I'm at now. Um, and have you, as you started thinking about, you know, it sounds like some of the early experiences you've had in CS2 were almost like naturally uh, kind of moving in some of those scaled ideas, like you had mentioned, right? You kind of were in some CS roles, um, kind of had some of the one-to-one interaction, but then, like you said, you kind of took on some projects that sounded like, hey, I'll build some documentation in the knowledge base, or mm-hmm. hey, I'll build some uh, kind of training videos to help us scale. So kind of, again, it kind of sounds like you've, um, maybe even like in your CS days, it kind of naturally, you started gravitating towards like, okay, how can I share more information more broadly? Like I got to get this out to more customers. Like we, it can't just be, I don't know, sitting on Zoom calls, you know, 24 yeah. seven. Um, like, where do you think that like came from for you? How did, how did you start to almost identify that as like, okay, we need to be doing that more with customers? I don't know. I think it was just the work that I enjoyed doing. I, I really like being creative. Um, I like design. So it was just natural for me to want to take on those, those jobs and no one at the time was taking them on. Um, because again, like you said, it wasn't really in our job description. It wasn't really our job, but because I had this desire, it was like, I had a great manager that was like, sure, go for it. Um, and, and so really got to start leading a lot of those projects. Um, and saw some really cool impacts from it too. It was exciting, especially at our company where, we're, I guess you would call B2B to C. So we sell directly to like district leaders or school leaders, but teachers are the primary users of our product. And where we're training, the training occurs at the to the district leaders or to, to the school leaders. The teachers were not receiving any direct training from us. And so that's where another piece came in of how do we educate the users 
um, let alone the, the buyers and the customers? How are we going to educate the users so that they fall in love with our product as well? And um, then those buyers want to continue renewing their subscriptions with us. Yeah, that's a great um, point that um, we, so, you know, I think in some cases, uh, B2B SaaS companies have like, I call it like a double jump, but it's like, I have a customer directly and that might be a user or something, but then our product maybe powers an experience for like their customer. So it's like, you have this double jump. So like our product, for instance, we serve communities. And so we have a community builder who might be like our key contact, but then they have members to the community. So we actually, if we enabled the members and it helps our customer kind of get the outcomes they want. And then that helps Mm -hmm. us get the, you know, so um, I I agree with that too. It's kind of interesting that you have found some similar experiences in that. Cause I think uh, it's kind of hard sometimes to be thinking like, Oh, if I actually, if I don't know, like we always kind of thinking about creating content just for our direct customer, but then it's like, Hey, there's this indirect piece that like naturally if we went down to the bottom of the line and helped that person, then it's going to come back in spades, but um, it's not always like the apparent opportunity. So I think that's a pretty interesting um, point you mentioned too, about like enabling users um, also, you know, can provide like critical mass um, to help some of those things get done. Yeah. Especially if you're in a space that's not an essential product, if you can create something that maybe the users will riot a little bit, if they, if the buyer takes that software away from them, then you're in a much better situation when it comes to renewal time. Yeah, that's definitely true too. Um, I also think the other like funny part that, um, that we were talking through, I was talking through with somebody else the other day is also that, um, sometimes it's hard for you for, for companies also to, um, uh, grasp also that like your customer has so many other things going on in their day. Uh And so like, um, again, we were kind of talking about some of these things earlier, but like grabbing somebody's attention is like so much harder in today's landscape than it ever has been. It's like, um, Jeff has like, an iPhone that has all these social apps that he could be perusing personally, you know, then I've got work and I have Slack and all this stuff. And then like, then I, you know, I purchased 36 tools at my company or something like that. And I need to figure out, you know, which ones to be using when to do what. And like, so naturally you're just, you're starting to realize like everyone's attention is so minimal. Um, and so sometimes you get so laser focused, like, okay, I need to enable Jeff on how to do X, Y, and Z in my software, in my tool. Um, but if you also take a step back and say, okay, what's Jeff trying to accomplish in his day-to-day role as like a director of brands? Um, yeah. And how could I like weave my product into that story? Like, okay, you need to do, you know, you're rolling out a new um, brand. Great. Okay. Um, here's how our product could help you do that. Or like, here's how you should enable that in our tool to help, you know, communicate that internally, or here's a process or here's a something. So um, I think that's like a natural progression of like what you're talking about too, is like um, kind of enabling in the product and out of the product as much as yeah. you can. Mm-hmm. Um, when you think about, so we were, there's a couple of things I wanted to, to circle back around on and maybe get your take on um, how you, how you found maybe you're like some ways that you're trying to do this. So we kind of talked about attention earlier. Um, are there ways we'll call it, you know, um, methods of communication or types of um, content? I know like every company is different or every audience is different, but are there ways mm-hmm. that you've kind of found like, Hey, you know, these, these have kind of worked for us in terms of like scaled ways for us to engage or um, to grab like attention from our customer. Is there anything that you've kind of done that you feel like, okay, that's a really good, you know, we did this really well and it it, like executed and we had a really awesome like turnout from customers or anything that comes to mind for you when you think about that? Yeah, I think that in both of the companies I've been at, um, what 
has worked well and is like low hanging fruit. It was not like a large lift to do this. Um, was like data progress reports and letting them know not only their personal data, but their account data. So especially thinking about us selling to school leaders, but they may not be the user of our product. Do they know how their teacher base is using the product? Do they know how their their student or parent base is using the product um, so that they can feel confident that their investment with us was well worth the time and money? Um, and so I think that that's like, that's something really easy you can do. Obviously, there's many ways that you can take that and further that and make that automated based on engagement or adoption, things like that. But again, being at a startup, we didn't have all those fancy automations. So uh, we were able to import our adoption data once a month and then send out those progress reports. And at the time, you may not know that it's effective, but once those progress reports go away, you certainly hear about it. So you do find out those were important. They, they did care. They, they care about the data. Um, and even we've used that same strategy. So right now at my, at my current company, um, we are product led. And so taking our free teacher base and sharing their school data with them as a tool to say, hey, share this with your school leaders. I think they would be interested in knowing that this is how effective just our three basic teachers that are using the platform have been really effective. So take the, these this data to your school leaders. And that's been pretty powerful. Yeah, that's super cool. Um, and I love your point, you know, like, um, I don't know, sometimes people get caught up in like, needing to have like these intricate stories about data, and maybe like proving ROI, and it gets down to like these complicated formulas. And I feel like people uh, sometimes like over index on um, needing to have like those types of proof points that sometimes you miss some of the, like, simple, I'll call them like activity or leading metrics that like, can get people excited on a project where just like you said, Hey, we only have three teachers right now using it, but like, look at the progress we're making. And then like, Hey, you know, if we extrapolate that out, like, look, look at the progress we could make as we, you know, onboard one teacher a month or one teacher a week or whatever the, whatever the yeah. right next step is. Right. But, um, I like the simplicity of that of like, Hey, we can just tell you some of these things that, um, again, might just impact, you know, maybe how you're thinking about staffing or maybe how you're thinking about your classrooms or how you're thinking about, curriculum design or whatever it might be, um, like that tells that story pretty easily. Um, so I think it's a good one. The second question I was going to ask you if you found good ways is, um, we were talking about saying something in kind of multiple ways, like, um, you know, how do you maybe use videos or use in product or, um, and I'm curious if you've found, um, methods or ways that you're like, Hey, it was really great for us to start in this way. And then we kind of transfer, you know, then we like transition this content into like these different ways, but is there like one way you've kind of found like, uh, like here's how we maximize, you know, like the effectiveness of like this content. So instead of it just being on like one channel, like you've kind of utilized it elsewhere. I wouldn't say that there is any one way, but I think what has been helpful is when you are creating those self-help resources that you have the video content, you have the written content all in one place. Um, so thinking of just like a, we built a lot of ours out and on Zendesk at my previous company. So it would start with a video or we would have like a two column placement. It would be video text, video on the left side, text on the right side and so forth. And I think um, many help articles I see are just like one long piece of text and I have to search for the piece that, that I actually need to figure out. Um, 
I know how to get from point A to D, but I don't know how to get from point E to G. Yep. Um, and so how do I search for that in this lengthy um, help article? And so I think when you're, what has worked for us is building out the help card help articles in a way that chunks the information so it's easy to read. I can easily find just the piece I care about. I can find it in video or I can read it. Um, just offering all the different, we call going back to my teaching days, differentiated learning um, for all the different people who, who might be looking for that piece of information. Yeah, that's, um, I like your point though about, you know, sometimes it's, um, sometimes it's even as much as like formatting, right? Like just creating information in the right way is like chunked out and certain, like um, I've even found that for emails, right? Like sometimes people get caught in writing like long run on sentences that are like in the multiple sentence in a paragraph, almost like I'll call it like classic, like what you've learned, like growing up in like English class. It's like, we've kind of brought that to the business world. And then again, as you start, yeah. you, know, you start learning and realizing you're kind of like, okay, um, I almost need more like, I'll call it like TikTok style writing in like business than I do. Um, then like, like I learned in my English class, like I need more, um, Hey, what's the point up front? Okay. Here's the supporting evidence. All right. Here's, you know, how I got there. Um, yeah. and it doesn't always mean like bullet points, but it just means like getting it much more into like, um, changing your cadence and how you write, or maybe like looking at the the way that you outline, or like you said, like even like parse out information in certain paragraphs, like it just helps, um, as you like, as somebody's like reading through the content, like keeps them engaged, keep them hooked to like figure out like what the next thing is. So um, yeah, add headers to your emails. Like I don't, if I can look at your headers and know exactly what it is that you're trying to tell me, but if I have to read through paragraph by paragraph to figure out what you're about to tell me, just give me a, give me a header for each of the different paragraphs so I can scan through it. Yeah, exactly. Um, well, this is, this has been awesome. I know, um, we've kind of chatted through a couple different things. So I think, um, just your, your transition from the classroom to CSM kind of hearing about how you thought, um, some of those similarities, right? Like, uh, thinking about how to change up how you're delivering information, thinking about attention, um, uh, thinking about different learning styles. Uh, I thought it was super interesting kind of talking about startups and how you've, um, you know, moved between certain CS roles in marketing. And then also thought about, um, finding gaps and kind of figuring out the right solutions, right. For the right time, um, and kind of right sizing those. And then I think the, the last part about scale TS has been fun to talk through just, um, you know, how to bring some more of these marketing styles, um, talking through, you know, how, what are maybe a way or two to, to drive attention, um, how to think about kind of delivering information in different ways. So, um, I think there's a ton of good stuff in here in a very short amount of time, uh, which seems cool. like it. Um, if anybody wants to find more of, you, uh, where is the best place to do that? Uh, they can go to LinkedIn and find me. Just search my name, Caressa, K-A-R-E-S-S-A, Parish, P-A-R-I-S-H. I'm pretty sure there's only one of me. So should be easy to find. <laughs> That's what you think. You know, hopefully uh, yeah. nobody's out there saying, <laughs> you know, more, more accounts or maybe there's more caresses coming in the world. Uh, yeah. But I appreciate this. This has been fun. Um, and I think there's probably some more uh, we can do down the line. But I think this has been uh, a good start and I appreciate you doing this. Cool. Thanks, Jeff. It was fun. I appreciate it. Hey, everybody. Jay here. Thanks for tuning into the podcast. You know, this started as a labor of love for Jeff and I a couple of years ago, and it's really turned into a movement around customer success and community, and we couldn't be more thrilled to be a part of it. 
Um, we grow this by word of mouth, so we'd we'd love it if you're willing and you find value in what you hear on this podcast. Leave us a rating or a review on on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It'll help us grow and, and provide value to more customer success professionals. Also, if you haven't yet, please sign up for Gain, Grow, Retain, the online community. It's gaingrowretain.com. You can meet other people, make one-on-one connections, share ideas, get ideas, grow your career ultimately. Um, be on the lookout also for live events, both in person and virtual this year. We're excited to get back to that. And thanks for being part of the community. We look forward to talking to you soon. 